0: So this morning, um, you know, there's occasionally when you're in a worship service, you have one of those moments that you just will always remember. Um, I cannot tell you, like, I hope maybe you're there with me, how amazing it was to hear children crying out during church. And then when they dismissed them to children's Bible hours, like, no, <laughs> bring them. I, I, I think that's amazing. Um, and particularly the one moment where I heard a child cry out the word atonement. And I was like, are you serious? And so I wanted to stop and and I want to, I just want to say thank you um, to our Bible teachers. Uh, I'm convinced right now that you have the single most important ministry in this body. Nothing outweighs that. Um... I remember asking a group of kids one time what atonement meant, and one of them said, it means you're all singing the same note. And then I laughed, and then I thought, well, <laughs> kind of. Uh, you know, uh, There's a little bit of truth to that. But um, I uh, also deeply appreciated what we, uh, uh, what we talked about during the Communion Thoughts. And talking about this picture uh, of the camp of Israel, and, and Chuck talked about how much just the curtain weighed, you know, and, and we take for granted, like, man, they had to move. You remember the instructions God gave his people when he said, man, you don't know if you're going to be setting up camp for a day. Or if you're going to be setting up camp for a week or setting up a camp for a year, you know Israel never knew. Because every morning it says they went out and they watched the sky and if the cloud rose, they had to go wherever the cloud went. And the text says that they did not know if they were setting up camp for a day, a week, or they didn't know. Every single morning they found out, are we going to be moving? And listen, it was work. Hard work. It wasn't like going camping in the mountains, and I'm gonna—I can't even put my sleeping bag in its shell. These guys had to move camp, this massive camp, frequently, and so responsibilities were given. I want to show you a few of these right here. The um, the Marorites. Now, I know I, I don't want to lose you here, so I'm not going to spend too much time. But this is really cool. The Marorites had a responsibility. Now, these four camps. All represents the descendants of Levi. Um, and so before I even get into their responsibilities here, which has everything to do with Psalm 84, before I get into their responsibilities, I want to bring us back to the close of Exodus, where Moses is begging God, if you don't go with us, don't send us out from this place. We need your presence. And of all nations in the world, this small nation, Israel, that has no home, they are blessed with the very presence of God. In the book of Leviticus, that's what it's about. I will dwell among you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And the sacredness of God's presence among His people. You remember what He said? He said, man, I'm not sure I can go with you, because if I go with you, you understand, I, I am a consuming fire. Fire. And, and and I am, my presence is holiness. And to dwell in my presence is holiness. And that is what we're introduced with in the book of Exodus. And so this camp represents here in the tabernacle, in the very middle, God has set his tent up amongst the children of Israel. Now, I will get ahead of myself for a second and say, you are seeing a picture of Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's even beauty to the fact that he surrounded himself with the twelve. And all of this, that you are looking at a type, a shadow, of what Jesus would become when the Word became flesh. But you have this image of God dwelling in the midst of his people. And then, if calling out Dan, Asher, Naphtali, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Gad, Simeon, all these tribes to surround you, He selects one tribe, Levi, and you will be right in my holy presence. The Merorites, the Kohathites, the Gershonites, and then we're going to talk about Aaron and Moses and their family serving as priests. They are part of, this is going to be important they are part of the Kohathites. So these are the same right here. But what I want you to pick up on is they were all given unique responsibilities. So the Merorites, remember the tabernacle's heavy. The Merorites were responsible for one task. They had to carry the poles and the bases and the framework of the tabernacle. Okay, that's what you remember about the Merorites. They carried the poles basically. Um, J- Jason, we did this a lot when we broke down assignments on Trek. Who carries the poles? Who carries the tents? It's the exact same thing. Because the Gershonites are responsible for the tents. They're gonna carry the skins. And let me tell you, if the, if the, if the, um, veil weighed, what did you say, two tons? If the veil weighed two tons, talk about the seal skins and everything that covered the, all of it. This It weighed a lot. And so they carried the skins, right? Then you have the Kohathites. Now the Kohathites, we've already talked about Israel, chosen from among the nations. The Levites, chosen from among the Israelites. Now the Kohathites, chosen from among all of the Levites. And you will be the ones that carry the sacred vessels of the Lord, the sacred furnishings. They are, guess what, the gatekeepers. They are responsible for keeping, holding the gates before the Lord. Now, from among the Kohathites, God chose Moses, Aaron, as priests before him. So what happens when you're reading through the book of Numbers is really crazy. Because of all people, he chose Moses. Do you remember Moses' response when God chose him? No. Listen, when the text calls Moses the most humble of all men, I know that these are called the books of Moses. I'm going to tell you something. Moses did not write that. That is truly what people saw in him. That is not an arrogant, I'm more humble than any of you people. Um, This this is how people viewed him, and you see it in his life, listen, call somebody else, man, I'm, I, I'm not, that's not me, get somebody else to do it, and then, when he finally has to do it, imagine being a leader, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to do a very, very short mi- uh, mini-series, sort of on leadership, but imagine being a leader, you didn't even want the position, you didn't even want, no, man, you're not going to talk right now, um, okay, you, you, <laughs> you, you, you don't even want that position. And all of a sudden, all the people start complaining and you're like, God, I didn't even want this. And now they're going to complain about me. Well, how about this? And, and when you get to Numbers chapter 14, his own family, Miriam and Aaron, stand up against him. And they said, man, listen, it's not just you. And they stand up against him and that's where it says, listen, I'm just trying to do what God tells me to do. I'm not trying to exalt myself above anybody. But then when you get to number 16, a very important biblical event happens. It's called Korah's Rebellion. And this is when one of the Kohathites that is of the family of Moses, they're in the same family. This is my cousin. One of my cousins steps up and he comes comes at Moses with 250 men he rises up and he says, what on earth are you doing leaving us as doorkeepers? What are you doing leaving us as carrying in front? Carrying in front? We're, this is what we're going to do, but you're going to minister as a priest? No. We're going to minister as priests as well, and we're not going to take this. And so they rise up, and one, one phrase keeps going back and forth. They come to Moses and they say, Moses, you've gone too far. And Moses looks at him and he says, God is holy. You have gone too far. And we will allow God to discern this and decide what's going to happen and what happens in the story. I'm going to just read from Numbers 26, verse 10. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them, along with Korah, whose followers died when the fire devoured the 250 men. And they served as a warning sign. The line of Korah, however, did not die out. Now, the reason that 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 last phrase actually is super important, the line of Korah did not die out, guess who wrote Psalm 84? The sons of Korah. Now, my mom tells me who I'm related to all the time. Um, I have a thick folder in my office of my genealogy and the people that I'm related to, Um, I get to find out that I'm not connected to Braveheart, but I am connected to the man who betrayed Braveheart, Robert the Bruce. I, I, but my mom doesn't often come to me and tell me the embarrassing people that are in my genealogy. It's usually, did you know that you're related to Jeffrey Chaucer? Am I? No, I'm not, am I? Oh, I am. Somebody else who's famous for not finishing his work. And... and um, but but you think about it. You don't think about the embarrassing people. Listen to this. Of all of the people. for And we're going to talk about the song leaders of Israel. And I hope I'm not boring you with this. Because it's going to get really cool in the text here in a minute. But we're talking about the song leaders of Israel. Jeduthun. Asaph. Heman. These were, the, these were the names that David associated with. These are our song leaders. These are our worship leaders. Right? Heman was a direct descendant of Korah. They're Kohathites, right? So when you look at this, and you look at this, this story, why of all of the people in your lineage did you choose Korah? Korah was the one who rebelled. Korah got swallowed up by the ground. In the story, it actually says this. Moses cries out, get away from their tents. Run from their tents as fast as you can. And the people ran from the tents. And the ground swallows the tents. That's also important in this text. And so now you have a psalm written and attributed to the sons of Korah. Um, before I get into the psalm and kind of get back into the text, I'm going to pick up in verse 1 here in just a minute. Um, I want to share with you First Chronicles 26.9. These were the divisions of the gatekeepers who were descendants of Korah. Um, I want you to keep associating this gatekeepers. With CORE, this is what it was, and they didn't want this responsibility. They wanted something more. Now, just imagine, if you will, this following story is not true. It's important that I tell you that because it's easy that you could think it would be true. Andy Reid called me this morning. We have a Super Bowl today, right? Andy Reid is the coach of... uh, I have notes because I know nothing about football. Um, Andy Reid... From the, from the Chiefs calls me this morning and he says, you know what, Jeff? I've been watching you, been sizing you up and I actually need you in the game. Um, I need you to fly out today and I'm gonna, I'm gonna suit you up for the game. So, so, so he brings me out and not only am I part of the Super Bowl and I get to go in the Super Bowl, which I can't afford those tickets. I'm in the Super Bowl and he says, no, 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 I'm gonna suit you up. And I'm going to put you in in the Super Bowl. I'm going to allow you to play. In fact, I've been watching you. And Tyreek Hill is okay, but you, Jeff, you've got speed on you, you know. And I'm going to throw you in, and I'm going to let you replace Tyreek Hill. All right, because because I think you can stand up against. Wait, who's the who's the cornerback for uh, Marshall? Mar- 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 Sherman. What's his full name? Richard Sherman, I appreciate somebody being with me here. he says, listen, listen, I feel like you could take Richard Sherman. I feel like you got Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman's a humble guy, but I feel like you got this. And all of a sudden, I, and instead, I step out and I say, listen, I know you flew me into the Super Bowl. I know you're suiting me up. I know you, I'm replacing Tyreek. I know that you, uh, but you know what? Why, why don't I get to be Mahomes? <laughs> Mahomes ain't all that. I could take, and, and can you imagine the arrogance of, of you've been put in this place of privilege? And all y'all are thinking terrible illustration. You would die, okay? <laughs> but 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 still, can you imagine be putting in this place of privilege? I mean, privilege upon privilege upon privilege upon privilege. You are Israel, and I've called the Levites out of Israel, and I've called the and and just you have been called to the very gates of the Lord. And you dare step up and say it's not enough. I've got I've got to have more. And you lost, you have a sense of privilege. And you've lost your sense of thanksgiving and coming before Lord. Now, the song leaders of Israel, the song leaders of Israel associate themselves with Korah. We are the sons and the descendants of Korah. And this is what they write in the psalm. Um, I'm going to be actually pick up in verse 1, so I'm going to ignore my slides. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrows found a home. The swallow, a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O oh, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Listen, those that have the privilege to stand at the gates, they are ever praising you. They have the privilege to live in constant worship before God. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. They've set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Now watch this. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. What's beautiful about Psalm 84, before I keep reading here, what's beautiful about Psalm 84 is that we're looking at a picture of a journey, a pilgrimage, to come before God in Zion, a pilgrimage that the Israelites would make three times a year. But it's also clear that it is something of an allegory. It is showing a picture of the Christian life or the life in God coming on a journey to approach God's throne. And, and you, you look at life as pilgrimage. That I, I, When I'm going through, and let's just call it the Valley of Tears, that's what it means. When I'm going through that valley, it's not a place where you build houses. It's a place where you pitch tents. You don't call this place home. And when you look back on your life, this phrase, strength to strength. It's easy for me to look back on my life now and say, man, these were my valleys of Baca. These were those places where I was in desperate need and in tears and in pain. Those are those places. And it's easy to look back and see those, but how amazing to look back on your life and say, I'm going to, I'm going to identify my Ebenezer's. I'm going to identify those places that I, I, Steve touched me so much in class this morning. Those places in my life where I did not have the strength to pray. But God carried me. And God spoke to me when I could not speak to him. And God carried me when I could not walk. And God was my strength when I had nothing. And you look back on your life and you say, look how God has done that every step of the way from strength to strength. I will go until God meets me again next because he's done it all along the journey it goes on and he says, hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look with, upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. I'm going to come back to this phrase, our shield, next week. Look with favor on our anointed one. And then again, you see this word, selah or silah. This word, I know it, it's been interpreted over the years to mean rest, quiet reflection. Most likely, the Hebrew doesn't mean that. It probably means cheer. The the word literally means raise up, all right? And so the word, what I I hear in my mind, you're free to your own imagination because this is all this is. As I just hear Israel, cheer, celebrating God when you get to the Salos. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. The sons of Korah write this. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now, not only do they acknowledge their role as doorkeepers, but how about the tents of the wicked? What happened to the tents of the wicked in the story of Korah? He said, run for your life from the tents. I used to think this verse was saying, man, I'd rather just be a doorkeeper than live in luxury over in those tents. Man, if, you, if you're thinking about the story of Korah, that's not the situation. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than be dead. I, I'd rather be a doorkeeper than associate with the wicked that are going into death. I want to be a part of God's kingdom. And so you're seeing a message of thanksgiving. Um, My prayer, I want to do something with you guys. Um. My prayer for us is that we would have a clear vision of every good thing we have in Christ. Philemon, in Paul's letter to Philemon, he says something super powerful. I pray that you would be more active in sharing your faith so that you may have a good understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. The sharing your faith somehow isn't simply evangelism. There's something more to it. It's you start to discover what has God done in my life. What has He provided for me? When I was presented with the gospel at a young age, by no fault, I don't believe, of those that presented it to me, it was very canned. It was, what do you want to do to live forever? You need to hear Romans ten 17. You need to believe. Hebrews 11:6. It's been so long. I'm actually using notes and that's crazy. You need to repent. Luke 13:3. Confess Romans 10:10 10, 10. and be baptized Acts 2:38. All of that is true. There was nothing that I was handed that was false. The problem is something was missing. It was canned. It was simply a step-by-step process. Baptism was just water. And if I get in the water, then I'm a Christian. And if I hear, and you know how we used to do these studies? I used to show the Jewel Miller film strips in English and in Spanish, man. We used to do it. It would be like, we'd say, hey, you've heard, right? You've already heard, so you already get a check mark. So, hey, because you've heard that. And that's how we would do it, bring it. But there was something missing, and I want to explain what I mean by that. Last couple of weeks, somebody has been pretending to be me. I don't know if you've ever had, had that happen in your life, maybe with a credit card, maybe with something else, where somebody stole your identity. Listen, I hate it when that happens with credit cards. It's happened probably to all of us. But there's something just a little bit more sick to me when somebody steals an identity that actually associates you with your friends, Facebook, email, something like this. So, I have messages going out pretending to be me to members in our church. And I'm going to read you a couple of these. These are epic. Abel sends this to me. I sent a message to Abel. You are blessed. I'm already upset that the mock version of me is doing more than the real version of me. Good morning, Abel. I believe this message mail gets you to as expected. I'm also upset. I'm glad these didn't go to my mother-in-law or my mom because the English is poor and I would have been really rebuked for this. This is a pressing need of your help. I will be of appreciation. This message is acknowledged. Well, I was already like, well, nobody can read this. Surely they don't think, surely Abel doesn't think that's from me. But then it signs with actually, somehow he has a signature on the email that's very similar to my, my signature. Then I got another one. This one was really good. This one, and if you, if you know Lance dismaying and what he does, that's what makes this so funny, okay? Um, to say the least, Lance is a busy man, okay? He, he, he's got a lot on his plate. So I send this message to Lance. Thanks for getting back to me, Lance. Um, I'm in a meeting right now. Uh, I, can't, I can't make any calls, and due to my busy schedule, I cannot get things done myself. I'm ready for Lance to come punch me in the face, even for saying that. It's like, wow, our greedy minister. Um, I just need to to get a gift card sent out to somebody that's struggling, and it goes on. and And I'm laughing about this because I'm like, surely these people know that's not me. And then I thought about. How there's not much I can do about some of this stuff. They're making, they're using email addresses that are not actually my email address, but look like my email address. Where am I going with this? Do you know how creepy it feels when somebody pretends to be you? How creepy it feels, even if they're saying things that technically are true. It's not coming from you. And I wonder how God feels sometimes when we represent Him and He's thinking, You're saying the right words, but I didn't say that. And that message is not from me. Um, The gospel in my life early on became canned. It became something that I just took for granted. I want to share with you just a few verses from the New Testament that represent the gospel in our lives. Um, I added this one just a minute ago. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. She's standing. In the grace of a God who is selected, forgiven, God made him who had no sin to become sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God shows his love for us. And then this, this is Romans 5 again, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, he, didn't, he who did not spare His own Son, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Second, uh, First John 4.10, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to die for us as a sacrifice for our sins. I look at the sons of Korah and what they came out of and how it just became routine. They lost thanksgiving and gratitude for where they'd been given. And this morning, I was thinking about this message, and by coincidence, I saw people coming to the door, and I had to grab the door to our church and just stand outside and hold the door for some people. And I thought, how ironic. I'm talking about being a doorkeeper today. And then I saw something that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. I said, oh, wow, that's kind of neat. Standing here watching the joy on people's faces as they walk through the door. And I thought about what it was to be a gatekeeper in Israel. We're not talking about gatekeepers of doors of palaces. We're talking about gatekeepers of the tabernacle, right? People have come on long journeys thinking the thoughts of Psalm 84, on this long journey, the sacred journey to come and appear before God, and I get to stand at the door and watch as they walk in before God's presence. It's a sacred and holy responsibility. We are called to be gatekeepers. When I speak about a a plan of salvation that I grew up with, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, I don't speak about it with disdain. That's sacred stuff. But we treat it as not sacred when we just turn it into a quick list. The very fact that I have been blessed in my life to hear the word of the Lord, that I grew up in a house that had Bibles in it, That's sacred. The fact that by God's grace, He turned me from a non believer into somebody who actually believes this stuff. Repentance is a word too sacred, repentance is a lifestyle. And the ability for God by His grace to tell us things don't have to remain as they are. By my grace, you can change. Confession, wow. (coughs) To be able to confess Jesus is Lord. Baptism, some silly maybe symbolic church act or the sacred grace of God. Baptism is not simply the removal of dirt from the flesh. It is the appeal to God for a clean conscience and it saves us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is sacred. I will close. I'm sorry if we're going a little long. But I pray that this spirit would be in us. Simply, God, make me a doorkeeper. God, if you just call me to do whatever work you call me to do in this church. And I'm going to close with a prayer of thanksgiving for our teachers. Because you are gatekeepers. Your role is unseen. Very few people, including myself, could list out who's teaching classes right now but you're carrying on a ministry that is sacred before God. And I want to ask God's blessing over you. And while I'm on that theme, and this is just kind of a shameless plug, if you desire to work in this church as a teacher, I pray that you would not feel burdened. I pray no one would feel burdened if you are asked to serve as a teacher. It's not always the right time, and I understand that. But look at that as a sacred responsibility. Before God. Father, I want to come before you and I want to ask your blessing on the homes of our teachers. Father, the children in here talking about your word and willing to cry out publicly. God, I ask you to bless those children and I pray that by your word you would bless their lives. And I pray, God, that there would be no. no greater uh, responsibility that you, you, you put on the shoulders of our leaders and on this body than giving this gospel to the next generation, not simply in letter, but heart and soul and mind and humility. I pray, God, that we would represent you well. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship God.